Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, we're going to look at two characters today from the story in Luke 10. And let's just start by reading it, Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, there are a lot of ways to divide the world into just two kinds of people. Uh, There are those who divide the world into two kinds of people and those who don't. Uh, There are people who love Star Trek and people who hate Star Trek. Uh, There are people who wake up in the morning and say, good morning, God. And there are people who wake up in the morning and say, good God, it's morning. There are cat people and dog people. There are throwers and savers, thinkers and feelers, conservatives and liberals. There are people who like chick flicks and there are normal people. But one of the ways to divide the world in two is the Mary types and Martha types. Mary types are kind of quiet. They're reflective and deep. They have a strong natural pull toward the value of contemplation. Uh, They agree with the ancient wisdom that says the unexamined life is not worth living. These people are often type B personalities. Uh, They wonder why other people are in such a rush. Uh, They like to ponder great thoughts and they want to experience life with mindfulness and depth. And then there are the Martha types, uh, busy, active, achievement oriented. If this is you, you love the challenge of accomplishment. You actually enjoy being pushed to the limit. This is normally the type A personality. Martha is kind of the patron saint of multitasking, trying to simultaneously get a meal ready, get a house clean, listen to spiritual teaching, and telling someone else what to do. If you're a Martha type, you think this is just the way life ought to be lived. If this is you, you often walk out of church with sermon notes and a to-do list on the same piece of paper. You're probably working on your grocery list right now. Uh, Now, for a long time, the passage we just read has been used as a kind of picture of two different temperaments. Uh, In the Middle Ages, uh, it was taken as a paradigm and as a reflection of these two basic ways of life, the the contemplative way and the activist way. And it was understood to demonstrate the superiority of the contemplative way. And it's still sometimes understood that way. Now, this is why all of you Mary types in the room were secretly glad when this text was read today especially if you're sitting next to a Martha, because you were thinking in your 
own sweet, unhurried, contemplative way, today, Martha is going to get hers. Because from this text, we learn, and Luke makes it very clear, that Jesus is not into doing. He's into being. He's not into task. He's not into a to-do list. It's better to sit quietly in the living room than to work laboriously in the kitchen. Just cease all the striving and effort, let go, let God, stop doing, just be. But there's a problem with that. There are all these pesky places in scripture where Jesus has quite a lot to say about doing. Jesus often told stories about workers. In one of them, it's the high achievers who get commended. The laid back passive guy is called wicked and lazy. In Matthew 28, 21, Jesus tells this story where a father says to his two sons, go work in my vineyard. And there's a, there's a son who decides, I don't want to work. Work is doing. I just want to be. And that son doesn't fare too well in Jesus' story. Jesus said of himself in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Jesus told us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers to the field. Jesus said in John 9, 4, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. The last thing he told his closest friends was, Now go, hit the road, go tell everyone in the whole world the good news and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them everything I have commanded you. And that turned out to be a lot of work. Just look at one of his followers, Paul. Paul says of his own life in 2 Corinthians 11, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> now, does that sound like a type B laid back kind of lifestyle. Paul uses metaphors like, I poured out my life as a drink offering. I fought the good fight. I ran the race. I kept the faith. Not only that, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul commands this, this kind of life for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, if Luke 10, 38 to 42 demonstrates the superiority of being the merry type, that it's better to sit quietly in the living room than to be busy in the kitchen, then why does Martha keep reappearing throughout the New Testament? Well, I believe that properly understood, this story is not really about Mary types versus Martha types at all. That's not the point. It's not about 
activism versus contemplation. It's not about doing versus being. Managing the pace of your life is a really important thing. Recognizing your temperament, the way you're wired up is a really important thing. But this story is about something more fundamental than that. So let's walk through the story. Verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, when the text says she opened her home to him, the implication is that he would be spending some time there, staying some nights there. And the obligation to provide hospitality in the Middle East in those days was very strong. Uh, there was no uh, Hilton or Marriott or Shalom Inn in those days. Travelers were dependent on the hospitality of private homes. And this home belonged to a woman named Martha. Now, this is quite an amazing thing that Jesus is willing to be entertained and put up in a home headed by an unmarried woman, Martha, that included another unmarried woman, her sister, Mary. That's unprecedented behavior for a rabbi in that day. And we'll come back to that. Luke is going to tell us about both of these sisters. First, he tells us about Mary, verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, the key phrase here is the phrase, who sat at the Lord's feet. We need to understand this is not just a description of her whereabouts, whereabouts in the room. Uh, let me give you a little background to this expression. In Acts uh, 22.3, Paul is giving an account of his life to the Jews in Jerusalem so they would understand what it is that he's talking about. And this is what he says. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, receiving strict instruction in the law of our ancestors. Now, the phrase that Paul uses there, at the feet of Gamaliel, was a technical term. It indicates that he was a disciple of the rabbi Gamaliel. It's a little bit uh, like in our day when a graduate student might say, I'm studying under and then name whoever their dissertation advisor is. So when Luke writes that Mary was sitting at Jesus's feet, the point is not that she was slacking off on her dinner duties. The point is not even that she preferred quiet conversation to the act of helping. The point is that she had signed on to be a disciple of Jesus, and she's now doing what it is that disciples do. That's the point of his description of Mary. She sat at the feet of Jesus to become his disciple. Luke kind of sets this story up in chapter 8, verse 19. He gives what might be taken as a definition of a disciple. Now, Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And then he makes a striking statement, a striking definition of family and community. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, back to Luke 10, when Jesus says in verse 42, Mary has chosen what is better, this is the choice that he's talking about. Mary has made the choice to be one, the one who hears the word and puts it into practice. And Luke underlines this with his use of titles. And you notice he doesn't write, Mary sat at Jesus's feet. He writes, 
Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. This is a relationship now between Lord and disciple, between master and disciple. Another real striking thing, prior to Jesus, guess how many rabbis in all of recorded history had a female disciple? Take a wild guess. Zero. It never happened. Anyone in the first century who read this story would have been shocked. They would have read this story not as a story of an activist versus a contemplative. They would have read this as a story of a rabbi with a woman disciple. And I'll tell you, as a father of two daughters, I am so grateful for Jesus's heart for women and for his courage. You know, I long for the day when the way Jesus honored and ennobled and included and gave opportunities to women is embraced and is as prized in the church as it was in his life. I long for that day. Mary now is a disciple of Jesus. Anyone now can become a disciple. Anyone can sit at his feet and learn. Anyone can put what he teaches into practice. Meanwhile, Martha is in the kitchen and Luke gives this key information about Martha's condition when he says in verse 40 that she is distracted by all her preparation. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Notice he doesn't say she was too busy or she was overcommitted. The word he uses, distracted, was a word that was used in a, a physical sense to be, to be pulled or dragged away from something. And the implication behind Luke's words is that Martha had wanted to hear Jesus. That was her initial intent, but she allowed herself to be prevented from doing that by the pressure of providing hospitality. She felt like she could not sit at Jesus's feet because of all that she had to do. Now, the question is, who said she had to provide this high level of hospitality? It wasn't Jesus. Where did this voice come from that said, you have to do this? Maybe it was her culture. Maybe it was the stereotypical role of women in her day. Maybe it was a little voice inside her head. Maybe it was a little voice from her mom inside of her head. Maybe it was her reputation, like what, was she, what she was known for. You know, the name Martha comes from the Aramaic term mar, which meant mistress, you know, mistress of the house or hostess. Maybe that's what she was known for, being Martha. Maybe her last name was Stuart. At any rate, she's in the kitchen. She doesn't have to be in the kitchen. Jesus doesn't want her in the kitchen, but she is distracted by pride or fear or ambition or envy or anger. She's obeying some other voice. Now she's certain that after exchanging a few pleasantries with Jesus, Mary will come and help her, but Mary doesn't come. So Martha's work undergoes what might be called the amplification phenomenon. And you know how this goes. You're emptying the dishwasher and your spouse or your roommate is sitting on the couch, reading or watching TV, doing nothing. At first, you don't mind because you're sure that they will hear you. They'll hear what you're doing and they'll join in to help you, but they don't join in. And so you start to get mad. And as you get madder, you start banging the plates on the counter with a little more authority. 
you start to slam cabinet doors so that the sound is clearly audible over the sound of the TV, whose volume keeps getting turned up louder and louder. And you want this other person to recognize their laziness and self-centeredness and feel their guilt and fall at your feet and learn from your work ethic. And if that other person has a high guilt tolerance, it's going to be a pretty noisy house. And you may wonder how it is that I know all this kind of thing in such detail. <laughs> well, it's because sometimes this is me. And it takes a lot of discipline, I'll tell you, to stay on the couch. <laughs> By this time, Martha is banging the dishes around pretty good and nothing is happening. And you know what's going on in her mind? She's saying to herself, the master is here. The guy who teaches about serving all the time. Like, and who is it that's serving? Is it Mary? No. You know, I get sick and tired of being the one who always does all of the work. You know, Pharaoh freed the slaves, all right, all but one. But that's not all that troubles Martha. Mary is doing something no woman is supposed to do. There's another train of thought running through Martha's mind. No other rabbi has a woman disciple. What will people think? What's going to happen to Mary's reputation? What's going to happen to Jesus's reputation? What's going to happen to my reputation? Who will ever marry either one of us if word of this gets around and it will get around? Doesn't Mary know where a woman's place is? And finally, Martha can't take it anymore. Now understand, she is absolutely certain she is in the right on this one. She's going to do a little Matthew 18 conflict resolution to get things back on track with the man who spoke Matthew 18. But she doesn't go directly to Mary. She doesn't even refer to Mary by name. She goes over her head on the org chart directly to Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now notice she's not just critiquing Mary here. Who else is she critiquing? Jesus. Don't you care, Mr. Compassion? There's a little pressure going on here. If you're compassionate, Make this other person do what I want them to do. And Jesus replies in verse 41, I think with some affection, Martha, Martha. Now, occasionally he does this. He repeats someone's name twice, usually when uh, he's particularly trying to get their attention. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And we do this sometimes to get someone's attention. It's kind of a loose association, but if you remember the old television show, The Brady Bunch, uh, I watched The Brady Bunch growing up as a kid. Uh, if you're too young to know the show, there's a middle sister named Jan. And when she's trying to correct her older sister, she always says, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Well, that's kind of the quote from Luke. Jesus is kind of saying, Martha, Martha, Martha. And then he diagnoses her condition with surgical precision. Her problem is not so much busyness and it, or, or not having a lot of things to do. Jesus often had a lot of things to do. It's distraction. It's being distracted from doing the one thing God wanted her to do. Jesus puts it like this. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needed. Only one thing. In that moment, the one thing needed was to sit and listen to his teaching, 
But Martha refused to let go of her own agenda and do that. You notice Martha wasn't doing bad things. She wasn't breaking the Ten Commandments. She wasn't gossiping about her neighbors. She wasn't sinning. She was doing good stuff. She just wasn't doing the one thing that was needed. Now, in this case, the one thing needed was to get out of the kitchen, let go of her need to be the perfect hostess, and to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. On another occasion, for Jesus' disciples, the one thing needed would be to grab a towel and wash dirty feet. On another occasion, the one thing needed would be to go from one village to another, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. On another occasion, the one thing needed would be to endure beatings and rejoice that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Always Jesus asked, and he asks us still, for his disciples to discern and to do the one thing needed. It's what Martha did not do. And therefore, Jesus says, she found herself worried and upset about many things. And those are always the symptoms of what might be called the Martha syndrome. Being distracted from doing the one thing God asks you to do always results in being worried and upset about many things. Someone asked Dallas Willard, probably one of the wisest people in the last century about spiritual life. How do you gauge your spiritual well-being? Uh, how do you uh, get a read on your spiritual health, on your heart? And he said he asks himself two questions. The first one is, am I getting more easily discouraged these days? Am I worried about things? He said, that's an indication that I'm not walking in a close connection with a powerful God. The second question he said he always asks himself is, am I getting more easily angered? Am I upset or irritated where God wants me at peace? You are worried and upset about many things. That's a diagnostic indicator of someone who is not sitting at Jesus's feet. I find if I'm worried and upset over many things, almost always, it's an indicator that something is distracting me from the one thing needed. Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. There's a little play on words here. Better could be translated a better portion. It's a term often used to describe a portion of food, a, a dish at a meal. Jesus is saying, the truth is, Martha, the real banquet is going on here. Uh, the one that I'm serving to Mary, Mary has chosen the best dish of all. She has chosen the feast. What kind of host would I be if I grabbed the meal out from underneath her in the middle of the meal? I would never do that. And I don't think you, re you would really want me to, Martha. So Martha, come to the table, won't you? Let go of all the stuff that you're worried and upset about. Come to the table and do the one thing that's needed. See, the point of this story is not about two different temperaments or two different types or uh, contemplative versus activism. The point of this story is to be a disciple of Jesus who chooses each moment to do the one thing needed. I think we make discipleship far more complicated than it needs to be. Generally, it involves going from one moment to the next, doing the one thing needed in that moment. As a family, uh, we've been watching classic 80s and 90s movies with our teenagers this summer. Uh, one of the ones on our list is the movie City Slickers. 
And if you've seen the movie, the character played by Billy Crystal is distracted by all that has to be done in life. And Jack, the old weathered cowboy, gives him a speech. And I have a slightly edited version of it. He says, you city folks are all the same. You spend 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope and think two weeks out here will untie them. The problems you're so worked up over don't amount to a crock of tapioca. <laughs> you're worried and upset about so many things. You know what the secret of life is? And then he just holds up one finger. And Billy Crystal says, the secret of life is your finger? And Jack says, no, it's one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that one thing and nothing else matters. And Billy Crystal says, well, what's the one thing? And Jack says, well, that's what you have to find out. <laughs> Jesus says, one thing, Martha. What's the one thing? My brothers and sisters are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. You know, I'll bet everyone here today who's made the decision that Mary made can remember when you made that decision. You probably remember the day that you were overwhelmed by the thought that this amazing Jesus invites you, invites me, I remember that day, to be his student, to be his follower. And maybe you said something like I said, from this day forward, my whole life is gonna be about that one thing. Not about money, not about success, not about uh, pleasing other people. My whole goal in life will be to hear his word and do it. Whatever he asks, I will do. Whatever the cost, I will pay it. That's my goal. And I just want to ask you today, is that still true of you? Are you still sitting at his feet? Are you really? He asks you to forgive. Do you do it? Or do you hold on to resentment? He asks you to give. Do you do it? Do you really? Or are you clinging? He asks you to pray and keep praying. Do you do it? Do you really? Or are you too busy? Have you gotten a little distracted by fear or worry or pride or ambition or doing well? You see, for followers of Jesus, every moment has its duty and all he asks his disciples to do is the one thing needed in that moment. All I can do in this moment is one thing. Like right now, the one thing that you have to do is sit there and listen, not to a human speaker, but listen to God and say, Lord, I am wide open. What do you want to teach me? What do you want me to learn? That's all you have to do right now. You don't have to figure anything else out. You don't have to solve anything else. You don't have to accomplish anything. One thing right now, listen to God. You know, the deep secret to a life of following Jesus is learning to simply identify and obey the one thing you need to do in each moment. And you can do that. All day tomorrow, you can just ask him one question, Lord, what's the one thing needed this moment for me to live as your disciple? And then do it. Sometimes it will involve stopping and asking God for help. So stop and ask him for help. Often it will be uh, to truly listen to someone. God may give you that task. And it may be the one thing that you normally are not very good at doing. Sometimes it will take a little discernment. You know, one night last week, 
one of my kids had done something and she was particularly proud of it. And she said to me, dad, come and see this. But that was going to take time and it was a busy week. I was worried and upset over many things. My initial response was, I can't do this. I was distracted from being with my child because I had a message that I had to prepare about the danger of turning into a Martha type. And so I had to decide, will I finish this message or will I go and be with my child? All right, so let's pray as the worship team comes back up. (laughs) Uh, To be a disciple of Jesus really is quite simple. And you really can do this. You really can. You just go through life saying, what is the one thing needed in this moment? You know, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just this day, just this moment. It's like manna. You just gather it for the day. What do you have for me this moment, God? What's the one thing needed right now? Maybe you're sitting next to someone who has been worried and upset, and the one thing needed is for you to listen to them and pray for them and encourage them just for a few moments before you leave this room. Will you do that? And if you're not exactly sure at any moment what the one thing needed is, well, then just pray and just make the best choice that you can. And when you get to the end of the day, do what Jesus does with Martha in this story. Do a little debrief on how things went and expect that when you make mistakes and you will make mistakes, Jesus will keep teaching you just as he does Martha. And where you got things right during the day, will thank Jesus for a chance to sit at his feet. Jesus tells some rather sobering stories about this. You know, at the end of the day, the world will turn out to have been made up of two different kinds of people. People whose ultimate goal is to hear and do the will of God. And people whose ultimate goal is anything else. People whose ultimate goal is not just what they say it is, but really whose ultimate goal is to follow Jesus and people whose ultimate goal is anything else. And it's such a simple thing to go through a day asking God, what is the one thing needed that you have for me in this moment? What's the one thing? And then you just do it. You can do this, whoever you are, like whatever your job, whatever your background, starting right now in this moment, you can do this. This is the real Mary type, one who sits at his feet. And that could be you and that could be me. All right, let me pray for you as the worship team comes to lead us in one more song. God, I pray that you would help us to reflect on this story, to learn from it, and to go and sit at your feet and learn from you and help us to to be in the word and to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Help us to hear your word and do what it says. Help us in those moments when we pray those prayers. God, will you help us to know what to do in this moment? May we follow the leading of your Holy Spirit in those moments. And sometimes we need to make a choice. So help us to make the best choice. Help us to to be wise and discerning in the choices we make. And help us to live like following you and obeying you and doing what you would do in our place is really the best way to live our lives. Help us to listen to you uh, clearly 
and to do what you tell us to do. Help us to be that bold. And we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.